Welcome to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good. Do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. say? You are listening to the Do More Good podcast from the International Fundraising Congress, IFC International Fundraising Conference, 2019. Here in Amsterdam in 2019. So here we are, James. Episode, who knows, from the IFC in Amsterdam. Yeah, we've had our first day here. An incredible day. I've really enjoyed it. Brilliant. Yeah. From that plenary session earlier on, right through to now, when after your oh, sessions as well. Highlight for many people, I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been really good, but it's only going to get better with our guest now. It is. It is, yeah. We, are, we have got a guest, former member of the, well, a member, sorry, of the Do More Good alumni. Ben Swartz with us. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, it's a pleasure to be back, guys. I feel like... I feel like a bit of my life has been missing since I last <laughs> did the podcast, well, so I'm really pleased to be back. You're absolutely a highlight of our early days. I think, what was that episode? Episode number 10, was it, or something like that? One for the collectors, wasn't it? Yeah. One for the collectors. Anyone It'll who's on got vinyl. that episode at home, it's like having vinyl on the shelf, <laughs> and you've got that one. Cool, a proper fan. So, Ben, we'd like to, to get back in. I mean, you, you've been busy over the last couple of days here at IFC. Why don't you just, just over what, you're, what you've been doing here? And Gosh, it feels like I've been here for about a month but I think I've only been here for two days. Yeah. And we've been... Uh, we did a masterclass, so that's, that is seven hours of helping 32 different people from 25 different countries. Wow. Lots of different languages to understand the core principles to help them win more corporate partnerships, basically, mm-hmm. and then influence them and then grow them and, and raise more money. And it was, it was good. It was really good fun. I, I enjoyed doing it. And then today I've been, it was a privilege to watch you, Kenneth. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I wish I thought of that with a brilliant, brilliant presentation. It was a really good session. Yeah, uh, it was really The plenary good. speaker today, yeah. a guy Blew who, me away. oh That's my brilliant. word, you know, a guy who, I think I'm right in saying this, what, like seven years ago or, or 10 years ago, his family were making the choice between can we give him food or, or will he go to school? Mm. Uh, and he can't go to school, so we'll just have to feed him. And even then, we can only feed our family once a day because yeah. a quarter of all kids at age five and under were dying of starvation through to today standing in front of a 1,000 people in Amsterdam telling the world because he learned self-taught himself physics. I know. And then... Scr- Mate, from the oldest looking GCSE. Yeah, I remember that book. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that book. <but> I <laughs> remember that, that book. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, to what? Find parts in a junkyard to make a windmill, to get enough electricity, to be able to study, to be able to grow crops, to be able to grow school, to make schools. This guy's amazing. Yeah, yeah. really yeah. inspiring. Yeah, I like that. We can, we can talk a little bit more about what you're doing at IFC, but I think it would be great to kind of give our listeners a bit of your background. I mean, you, you're obviously at NSPCC and, and, and working with Brightspot. But going back to the start, <laughs> that when you were young, Ben, and I saw a photo you put on Twitter a, a few a few weeks ago with you and your sister when you had a little bit more hair. Oh, right, uh, yeah. And, but what yeah. did you tell us? How did, how did you get into fundraising well, in the first um, place? So I, I failed university quite miserably. I've had a sh- I don't know if you want to go this far back. I, I grew up in North London. Uh, in, I went to a really strict secondary school, strict grammar school, where I learned how to 
probably had to talk and Latin. learn. And it was so. You do Latin at school. Latin, kind of they, school? yeah, they Latin, Russian, and something else that wow. really, yeah, I mean, really strict. Like, I then went to university in Manchester, and I was doing economics at Manchester because I was told that's what you do. You go to university, you do economics. Like that is really boring. Really boring. <laughs> a, a, economics was really boring. I had loads of maths in it. And then B, I was in a city, and I, I'm the youngest in the year. You know, like, we've got kids now, and you're like, oh, they're born in August. I was August the 30th. So I was 18, four days before I went to university. Wow. And I was like, and, and yet, if you see any photos of me, I looked about 14, <laughs> and I acted about 14. <laughs> and I had this city and student loan and actually access to my permits for money for the first time yeah. and I just went mad like went mad spent two years didn't do any studying really failed got great friends out of it but learned then that if I wasn't interested in something I didn't do it yeah and started working at Barclays just because I needed to get a job everyone said you need to get your foot on the ladder so I was like a bank is where you can go up this ladder and I started there and I really enjoyed it for a bit and then it got salesy and I think I said this on the last podcast I'm fairly sure I had to miss sell PPI like that was part <laughs> of the job I remember uh, and it was it was you know the, the culture and the values were wrong you think you've been missold? We're offering uh, no refunds. No win, no fee. <laughs> no, win, no fee. <laughs> However, th- I'm pretty sure that the deadline is passed now. So yeah. I'm sorry, you can't. Oh. Anyway, I was, I, do you know what? I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. I remember I was drinking at weekends. I was drinking at lunchtime. I was doing anything just to get yeah, a bit of happiness. Yeah. One of my sister's friends said to me on the train, have you ever thought about working in the charitable sector? I didn't even know what it was. I'm really lucky to have grown up in a family. I, I, like, I was... I was selfish my whole life, to be honest. Yeah. And then, um, and then a charity called Get Connected, which is now called The Mix, did an advert in The Guardian that said, if you want to volunteer for a charity, you don't need to have any experience, come to our open day. It's in Baker Street. And I was still working at the bank, but it wasn't far from Baker Street. So I walked into this volunteer evening and they told me they were a helpline that that's, listens to young people, a bit like mm. Childline. Mm. And they told me stories of kids and I thought, I can't do that, but I'll just I'll go to the next day and see what happens. And they said, yeah, we'd like you to come to training. And I went to the first training course. And I was like, I can't do that, but I'll, they seem to want me back, so I'll go to that. And like within a month, I was on the phone taking calls from kids. And these kids had had awful, you know, I've worked for the NSPCC. There were kids from awful backgrounds. Some of them were h- homeless. Some of them had been abused. But they were funnier than me. They were smarter than me. They were more determined than me. They were more motivated than me. They were cleverer and... And yet they'd been dealt these awful hands. And it like hit me like, oh my God, what am I doing working in a bank yeah. when I could be doing something with these guys? And so I, um, I quit the bank within a month of joining Get Connected on, as a volunteer. And luckily, the NSPCC, that was in November, and in Jan- I took December off. In January, the NSPCC um, asked for temps on a one-week contract to manage their gift aid. And my first job at the NSPCC was a one-week temping contract to count the donation forms that primary schools were giving in from schools fundraising. Wow. And then to highlight if there was postcodes there and they ticked the gift aid box, add them up and put them onto a system. And I'd love to tell you that because I was in the doors of the NSPCC, I was so inspired. I loved it. <laughs> it was fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it was awful. Like after two after two days of it, I was like, I am done. Uh. Like I cannot do this anymore. And then on the third day, Esther Ranson called all of the staff to the conference room, and with Dame Mary Marsh, she was the NSPCC CEO, said, 
I'm standing here to say today Childline and the NSPCC have decided to join together because if we don't, Childline might not be here anymore. Yeah. And we're not two businesses coming together or two organisations coming together. We're here making sure that every child, wherever they are, will always have somewhere they can turn. And I was like, yeah, I want to be here. Uh, this is where I want to be. And I moved from donation processing pretty quickly to supporter care yeah. where I got to speak to donors and they were really grumpy donors. You know what supporter care is like, you yeah. know? And um, they would call because we'd mailed them something that was really upsetting. And, and, and so you end up having to get really good at listening to them and managing objections. Yeah. And I realized that most of the job was helping someone who'd given to the NSPCC and was angry about something we'd done, understand why we had done it for the good of children, mm. listen to them, and then try and see if we could still keep them or get them to grow. And because every week I was still speaking to children who were in the same situation, I was... I was actually quite good at it because mm. A, I, I learned the skill of listening, but B, when they were like, well, what, what do you really do? Mm. I'd be like, well, last week I spoke to a 12-year-old boy whose stepdad was abusing him and he hadn't told anyone in his entire life and the last time he tried to, people were so distraught that they, th- th- their reaction meant he couldn't tell anyone and that was six months ago and we were the first people he'd ever spoken to at that point. Wow. And two weeks later, he called the police. Like, mm. so your four pounds made us do that to mm. be honest and if you mm. don't want mailings I can make sure you don't get the mailings anymore and it was uh, so so I was I, I was actually quite good at that job yeah. uh, and then we when Childline joins it's amazing now I'm a leader in an organisation you realise what that actually means yeah. it means restructures it means redundancies it means a time of change that meant as a 23 year old opportunity it was like mm. suddenly there were jobs everywhere what I've learnt in this world in fundraising in particular that if you're not going for the most senior job in the world, if you're just going for a job in a team where you need to have displayed the skills that you've influenced someone in the past, if you have grit and stories and belief and passion, people want you in their team. Yeah. And uh, there were five jobs I went for at the NSPCC, and I got four of them. <laughs> and because I was young and stupid... I accepted all four jobs because <laughs> I was like, oh, they just offered me the job. Yeah, I'll do that one, please. And then I'll do that one, please. And then I'll do that one, please. And I'll never forget when I got an email from a guy called Tim Hunter, who is now a director of fundraising at World Food Programme. And he's been at Oxfam and he was our deputy director of fundraising. And he was like, I've been asked to sign off the budget for four different teams to all get this guy called Ben Swart. <laughs> so I was like, I have to see who is Brilliant. this Ben Swart. And I had a cup of coffee with him and he asked me what I wanted to do. And I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. And I took a job in the major giving team, helping as an assistant to write proposals and learn about major giving. Very quickly, they realized my time management was awful and that I should actually be in front of donors. At that time, anyway. And so I became a fundraiser in a philanthropy team and I would speak to donors. And I I was okay at it. I wasn't... There were just cold calling people managing my time like understanding what the job was Mm. I really struggled with that and I found it quite hard I was even on a performance improvement plan I think at one point really yeah yeah and then um, (laughs) I'm glad he's not here and, and then, I, and then I met Rob Woods. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> famous that guy. That guy. He was the NSPCC trainer at that point, and I went on this training course that he made in house for major gift fundraisers. And it was like, yeah, no wonder it's not working. I'm not doing these things. Mm. And literally, like, I had a meeting with a donor where she'd asked me what the NSPCC do, and like 18 minutes later, yeah. I was still talking, and I was saying, 
Uh, and Wes is our director of children's services, and everything he does is governed by our board of trustees. Oh. And they meet once a quarter. And in my head, I was like, shut up, Ben. Yeah. But I, I, end of the meeting, couldn't get a gift. And I, I went on this training with Rob. Literally, six months later, I met this woman again, and I tried out some of the techniques. And she gave three times more than she'd ever given before. And I was just like, whoa, this is weird. If I try out this, this stuff... This guy's it w- a magician. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. If, you try, if you go somewhere, learn something new, and actually try it out, you'll be, su- and, and, and give it a go- you'll be surprised at what happens. I did that, and I, had, and I had an amazing time. In three years, I did lots of stuff. And then I didn't know what to do next. I was talking to my manager. I love presenting. I love listening to people. And I was like, I, this guy, Rob Wood, seems to be really good at listening to people. I'll ask him what to do. Mm. And it happened to be the exact time that Rob was thinking about setting up Bright Spot. So he was moving down f- to two days a week at the NSPCC. I was interested in doing his sort of job. So a natural secondment opportunity appeared. Wow. I became a fundraising training manager, working with Rob every week for two years. Oh, it was the best decision of my life. Wow. It really, like, yeah. Best decision of Rob's life also, because he got to work with me. <laughs> That's a great he, he often says that. It's <laughs> a great, a great story. I just want to rewind a little yeah, bit yeah. back to back to the start. One one thing that you said is that you were working at Barclays. Like this was the career where you could take that first step on yeah. the ladder and, and climb yeah. it through. And then suddenly, by going and volunteering at this organisation, you you figured out that that was the career t- for yeah. you. How did that decision go down with your parents, for example, and and, and others around you, or your friends and peers? Do you know what's weird is. So my dad has heart problems. He had a heart attack a few months ago, actually. Yeah, everything's okay now. But thanks to lots of good work of British Heart Foundation, they're amazing. Because of things like that, my mum has always said, you've got to, if you're here, yeah. do something that you love. Yeah. And it was really clear, when I do something I don't love, I do nothing. And, you're no, and, I, and it's the same in this world, like in charity world. I am not perfect Ben mm. all the time. Mm. Like anyone mm. that's worked with me, and sadly some people I've line managed in my time haven't stuck around for very long because they've had me at a time when I haven't been as, as, as fired up. So back then, it was really clear, if I like something, I go for it mm. and things happen. And I think my parents probably hadn't seen me this interested in something since... 1991 when Gaza scored <laughs> against Arsenal alright alright right, 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 let's not bring that up <laughs> like, you know, so my that, parents had to talk me down off the roof <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that James uh, for them it was a no it was a no and I think they could see I was miserable like yeah, they, yeah, like, yeah. so that was easier uh, okay. plus <laughs> one day I lost £14,000 at the bank right <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the reason, but well, I, I actually wasn't very good at that bit yeah, of the job. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out if, you, if, you're, if, if you're around lots of money, they, you should be quite good at that bit. I was really good with the customers. I wasn't that good at that bit. Jesus. Um, there was also a good point there around when you went to the mix or you, you yeah. followed up on the, the advert from the mix, they said no experience necessary. And that was interesting that that's come up recently. There's been this thing around do fundraisers need degrees? Does it, you know, do you yeah. need to have got through Manchester yeah, University yeah. and yeah. got to the end of that in order to be brilliant with people? I'm not sure you do no. need that. Mm. I, I'm, as somebody without a degree, I'm firmly backing this scheme. I, you know, I'm, I'm fully behind this. I thought it was a nice approach. They just said, come in, see us, have a chat. Yeah. We'll work out if you get through uh, to the next stage, X Factor style from there. Yeah, yeah. And it's very self-selective. And you'll know this if, you, if anyone here has been a childline counsellor or anyone's volunteered on that sort of helpline where you know you'll be talking to children or, or people in really vulnerable situations. The training's really smart. 
Like yeah. it makes it never really gets to the point where the trainer has to sit you down, Alan Sugar style, and say you're not right, you're fired, because you realise I am not the right person for this. Yeah. If you get so it's angry true. that you have to act and ask the child where they live and you have to do something. I'm not the right person for it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it. It's really cleverly done. I imagine you've both done that. You've both worked on those. So, yeah, months. Samaritan's very yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. um, people, jo- people dropped out, as you say. They, they identify so through the hard. process that actually this isn't for me. So, yeah, but to that, that, that point around not, be, not wanting to act and just get in there and save yeah. whoever. Uh, that, mm. God, that must be I don't think I could do it. Do you know what? I wasn't a parent then. So, it did, never really felt. It felt connected at the time, but could I do that today? Yeah. Knowing what it's like to be a parent, imagining my four-year-old daughter, if I ever heard about it, or my yeah. son. The, it, it, I wish I'd thought of that. They played a video, Young Light. The, the amazing children's hospital one. I can't remember yeah. what it's called. Written in a different pad. There's a moment where they slow everything down and show the hand of a newborn baby and there's the noise of the machine the beep 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 machine as they're trying to basically save its life and the the, uh, the first time i ever watched that sort of video i wasn't a father i'd never seen that baby it hadn't been my my daughter or my son when i saw that it just tore me apart yeah. It, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it it twisted me up and threw me up against the wall and i wonder if i heard a child who i thought of as my daughter or son saying that right now I, I, it would be far harder for me to do that. Yeah, yeah I can definitely connect with what you're saying yeah. on that. Just going back, Ben, when you talked about kind of moving into the trainer role, so obviously yeah. you'd, you'd been working with Rob because he'd been the in-house trainer. What was it about training or, 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 or guiding other people that, that kind of really appealed to you? Was it your, just your personality? or So, it? since I like telling the truth, the honest answer was... Rob just offered loads of money, didn't <laughs> he? <laughs> he just shed loads that of was cash. Certainly not. The, 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 the honest answer was... Major donor fundraising I found exhausting because all this energy to sit opposite one person and try and influence one person. And what I'd found was the same amount of energy, or even less, if I was in front of a room of 20, 30, 40 people, I could influence them. Scale. Yeah, I could could influence loads of people. I was actually quite good at it, and Mm. I really enjoyed it. Mm. And I could be the center of attention. Uh, But crucially, I was actually really good at that. And And I think back and like... My parents have always encouraged me to do more things like that. My dad mm. always was... It was so embarrassing as a child, the fact that he would always be the parent who stood up and encouraged the other parents to do something. And he'd always, if in a, in a hotel, be the guy who was friends with... Like, I hated him for it. But actually, I didn't realise at the time, I was watching him and learning the patterns yeah. of what it takes to help an entire room of people listen and do something differently. Mm. So when I then naturally started doing that as a part of my career, yeah. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm. And even actually in Barclays, they don't let you work there unless you do a, a week's worth of training. Mm. And one of the things is presentation skills training. And I, I was 20 years old, failed university, doing it all for a laugh amongst people who'd been working for years. And actually, in hindsight, their feedback was, you're crazily good. Like You are head and shoulders above other people at this skill here. Because I guess I'd pra- done, done it more. So for me, it was, I wonder what it would be like to have a room full of people mm. and me try that out. The truth is, completely different. Mm. Rob still talks to me. When we talk about the fact that the first time I trained with him, it took, like, he watched me train eight times because I was on the secondment. Every single time, we would sit down for hours afterwards and analyse what I could do differently. Mm. And the psychology of how I could frame a question in the right sort of way. And why didn't the group do it in this way? And the answer isn't just... It's, it's not about me, it's about that. It was really interesting 
how it's one thing to be a good presenter, yeah. and then it's a whole other ball game to help someone break down the barriers to be open enough to admit that the thing they're doing at the moment isn't the right thing. Yeah. Then willingly try out your tactic, then go away and actually do the tactic. That's a whole set of steps which Rob is obsessed by, and I, like, yeah, that, that, which yeah. which comes across. I mean, the conversation that we had this morning, where you talked about the structure and how you'd been reworking like ferociously <laughs> overnight, how you could make one part of your session today land at the right time yeah. when the people were vulnerable enough to acknowledge it. You know, it was just like people. I guess people just take it for granted that a trainer just comes in, does it? But they don't yeah. understand the thinking and the planning and the psychology that goes well, into exactly. it. I mean, the amount of work that goes in behind the scenes at the Do More Good podcast. Well, right? absolutely. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They, they only see the end result. They yeah. don't see the hours and hours we spend in well, bars. Exactly. So if you, if you forgive me, if I'm allowed 30 seconds, Go like... On. The, the, there's a book called Switch by Chip and Dan Heath and they talk about how hard it is to change to switch your behaviour and the example they give is if two studies where someone walked into a room before they were about to do 50 nearly impossible maths questions so it's year four students and the maths questions are for five years that are more advanced and in that room for one set of the group is no food whatsoever they're told that they can't eat before they do this test mm-hmm. so they're really hungry they walk into the room and there's, n- there's, there's no temptation whatsoever there. There's no food. And it just says, please wait here until you, until you do the test. In the other room, they walk in and there are freshly baked cookies. <laughs> smell them now. That you can smell, oh. like deliberately left in there, warm, gooey, so you mm. can smell them. And this is hungry people. And it's got a sign that says, please do not eat the cookies. And so they leave them in there for a while. The people who were in the room not eating the cookies, using their own willpower to not eat the cookies. Then, like, so then everyone does this impossible question, the, test, the task. Then no one's going to finish it in the yeah. time. But, uh, and you're given, the people who are in the room with the, with the cookies spend something like a third less time trying to t- do the questions than the people who weren't in there with the cookies because their willpower was used up saying no to the cookies. Yeah. Presumably, they also spent some of the time on the phone to Childline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah these kids, yeah. So, but, like, it, th- because your willpower is a finite resource, and yeah. so the book says if you're going to get people to change behaviour, they need to have loads of energy, which is why training courses at the end of the... Anyway, so um, I like that because, yeah, the, you know, the one switch we made today was the trickiest bits of the day, which are normally... They're hard to get your head round. We do at a point when they've all been travelling since four in the morning or yeah, five in the morning to get here. Cool. Actually, we should do that when they're fresh-faced and it yeah. made a massive difference. How, yeah. have you, how have you evolved your technique then? Over obviously working with Rob closely yeah. and, uh, and now you, you split your time between NSPCC and your yeah. role as head of corporate... Uh, new, new business. Yeah. New, bu- yeah. new business yeah. and, and Brightspot. How, how are you evolving your, your style and how do you continue to, to learn to become a better teacher? So, spend more time with Rob read more books mm. like whatever Rob recommends read it if I see a good book read it constant practice mm. but, but actually the main thing is I am in a privileged position right now because I get to hunt out the tactics that help someone be good at pitching or presenting or asking or whatever train a room of people to do it and then tomorrow be in the room with a company and do it <laughs> or a donor and try and do it I love that because actually, do you know what's been interesting is I was a fundraising training manager and I got really annoyed that after delivering the training, I then couldn't speak to the donor. Mm. And yet, so that was the main, my main learning of all of this was when I was a major gift fundraiser, I was okay at my job. Then I became a fundraising trainer 
and loved it and then realised all the things I wasn't doing as a fundraiser. Yeah. So then, There's two yeah. things out there, there. There's the authenticity of you standing up in front of people saying, I did this yeah. yesterday, yeah. or I'm doing this tomorrow, or yeah. I'm, I'm one of the gang. Yeah. You know, I might be on the stage here earning thousands and thousands of pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of you. I'm one of Not you. with the three half beers he purchased. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's run out of tokens. And then also the opportunity to test stuff out and yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're learning from your own yeah. teachings yeah. as well, and yeah. so actually that does work. And and, yeah. and that's the main that and perfecting yeah. it yourself. And that's the main reason I went. I beca- decided to join corporate fundraising and not at that point as a trainer become a consultant or something mm. like that. But because I was so fired up that what will happen if I go back into fundraising and try out all these tactics I've been training people for the last three years I mm. wonder what will happen mm. and we went from not winning a major partnership for years to winning six million pound plus ones in a row wow. and it was like wow you do these tactics they work so yeah. a lot of people have been listening to this thinking wow he's got it he's got it made he's got his fundraising job by day and then he's got his, his training and he's allowed yeah. to follow both of his passions you're very lucky and I, I, I don't think I've come across many other people in the sector who've managed to do what you do but I can imagine it also came with its challenges how did you get to the point where you can have two jobs do you know what it was especially as someone who is not naturally a good manager of their own time it's a sad reason to be honest I think if the transition had been instant I think if I had done what I was planning to do which was go from five days a week NSPCC to three days NSPCC then two days with Robert Brightspot I'd have been figuring out how on earth do I cram five days into three. And there's two things. One is I job share with the most remarkable fundraiser called Hayley Namak, who is job shares as head of new business with me. So she is incredible. Brilliant. But the main reason is the week that my contract changed and I would start doing those days, my wife, we had a miscarriage. Mm. And so that was heartbreaking for everyone. The whole the time management is about priorities, isn't it? It's about figuring out what's important and doing those first. And when something like that happens, there's only one thing that's important, mm. and that's Amy, and that's the, the, the family. And so I didn't do any NSPCC work. I didn't do any bright spot work. Mm. Amy and I spent time grieving and looking after each other. Mm. And then I bit by bit started doing other work. And it completely, my order is Amy mm. <laughs> or the family, mm. and then work afterwards. Mm. And so that's always been the order. Mm. Uh, and... and uh, from them any, on anyway and so what is quite tricky about managing the time is solved by this constant drive of I have to be out the NSPCC by 5 to 5.30 so I can get home to see my daughter mm. and my wife mm. and I have to do bright spot stuff at a time that means I can spend more time with them and intriguingly in those first few weeks actually before, before the miscarriage happened we um, someone wanted us to do some work for them and the only time he could meet me was 5.30 at, at St Pancras so I went to see him at 5.30 and the meeting finished at 6.30 and I got home at 7.30 and my, I'd missed bath time and my daughter was asleep. And I was like, what am I, do- what am I doing? Yeah. Like, I, if I'm going to be flexible with the job, it's so that I can spend more time at my home. And yeah. uh, I, I make a lot of mistakes in my life, in work and in life. But when, I, when it happens, that story, that it felt bad to be home late just because a client asked means when a client now says to me, oh, I can meet you at 5.30, nope, mm-hmm. like, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll meet you next week or the week yeah, after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So that's really, in- I mean, we've been talking about, because James over there has a tendency to say, I'm not going to work at the weekends, and then we'll work ferociously all weekend. I think this guy's a workaholic. Yeah. He puts in 100%, 110% effort into everything. 
but also of course like yourself having young families having yeah. wives that have got careers or their own ambitions yeah, yeah. And, and, and children growing up it's a strain on us all I think at this age like it is for everybody having children and trying to keep a balance how do you how do you find that balance are you very clear it sounds like you're very clear in your mind in terms yeah. of priorities and that drives everything is I that think right? it, it seems to be I, like I, I've never it's not like it's been a conscious decision but it feels like that's what happens and I yeah. do get excited and, and if there's a really big interesting piece of work I will work a little bit later on it and if there's a pitch coming up things do go on hold and like if it was really that case of family first then would I be in Amsterdam right now is that where I'd be but, um, it's juggling things yeah, it's, it is. it's juggling things like weeks away in Amsterdam yeah. and like, but yeah, it, yeah it, it is just choosing to make sure I guess so it's a balance, isn't it? If I haven't been with them for a long time, how can I be with them a bit, a bit more? I don't know how you... Like, what, what have you found? I generally have to reintroduce myself to the family. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like a PowerPoint presentation I run through <laughs> our history and how I've actually been involved. Um, uh, uh, badly is how I handle it, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, you were saying, like, it's, it's certainly yeah. something you need to... Dr- and uh, what's made it easier for me, so I work in London Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday... And Mondays and Fridays, I'm home. So I know my Mondays and Fridays, whilst I'm still working, there are days when I can do the drop-off, I can do the yeah. pick-up, I can be around. And it just feels like that's enough of a balance. So then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays can be the days where I need to yeah. work late or yeah, stay yeah, around yeah. Or, 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 yeah. or do what I need to do. But I, I still, th- I've got so much to do on the switching off thing. We've just got one of those boxes. You know, the, the magic boxes where you go in the house and you put your phone in the box, put it away, put it in the cupboard, try to be more present. I certainly need to be more that. The screen time alerts on my iPhone uh, still worry me, but yeah. feels like a confession. So, Ben, going back to your, your story, what's, what's the future like for you then? What do you think in terms of where, where do you see it going now in terms of the training and obviously the impact you're having, I guess? That's a good question. I don't know. I, do you know what? What's weird is I've never really, at any point in my career, when I've really started enjoying it, look to what's next really? like I've always just been like I'm just going to enjoy it mm. and then I'll begin to not enjoy it for a bit and that's mm. when I'll start looking at what's next mm. at the moment I absolutely love this mm. I have the most remarkable team at the NSPCC I've got an incredible boss and I'm not just saying that like he's, he's an amazing guy Mike I get to work with Rob mm. and other Bright Spot associates like Charlie I get to come here I get to work with charities and understand what they do I was talking to someone today who was like oh Ben this was a really good session We'd, l- we'd love you to train our head office in Kenya. And then if you do that, you might be able to do Japan or Cairo. And it's like, well, this is interesting. So again, like, I'll have to figure out if that's even possible. But I love that at the moment, I'll just I'll explore what works. I'll yeah. see how it goes. I'll do as much as I humanly can to help as many children at the NSPCC as possible because I was a 22-year-old boy when I joined there. And I'm now a 36-year-old man with ki- like It's changed everything for me. Yeah. So I'll keep doing that for as long as possible. But I, I, to be honest, I don't know. I'll just enjoy what's happening right now as much as I can. That's a lovely point. Enjoy the rest of the IFC. Yeah, exactly. But I think also be present and like not yeah. like there's a there's a lot forced on us to think about. Well, some of us, I guess, about your long term career. And I wasn't trying to kind of pry into uh-huh. that, but you know, we like it's almost like we're told we should be thinking about where we're going. We should be thinking about the goals that we're setting ourselves. We should be thinking about how we're developing and where we want to get to. But there's quite a lot in what you're saying about being present. Yeah. Similar to being on the, w- without the phone, being in the moment, enjoying where you are, and almost the future will come. Yeah. Like, the, you, you know, the future yeah. will come. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean don't have goals and don't no. think this is what I'd like to do, but 
uh, yeah. what you do now will influence those goals as yeah. well, right? So the work you yeah. do now will help you achieve those. Yeah. I'm sure and, you're doing your best work. And there's so many time. moving pieces, you know. I've got a seven-month-old son at the moment. My wife's off work. I have no idea what life's going to be like as a family of four when she's back at work. I, I, I'm, I can't plan until after then. No. I don't think. I have no I, I dread to think what it will be like. My daughter's just started school. That's really? a nightmare. Life-changing. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's good. Cool. Yeah. Well, look, I think it's, we're, we're out of beers. Yeah. It's James's round. Not again, surely not. <laughs> Has it been 10 years already? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> ben, thank you so much for your time. It's great to hear from you. It's great to hear your story. If anyone wants to find you, where can they reach out if they want some So advice? I am relatively vocal on Twitter, so I really apologise for everything I say on Twitter. <laughs> you can do that by just typing in my name, at Ben Swart. Probably the best place to find me, because otherwise I'll be like, oh, you can find me here at the NSPCC or here yeah. at Brightspot. Find me on Twitter. Genuinely the most passionate man in fundraising. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Love it. A lot of respect for you, Ben. Thank you so much. Best wishes to your dad as well. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Thank you. So, James just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? (laughs) If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth. At Do More Good Pod. Instagram. At Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 